welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Morning, church. If you would, please turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. I see there's many of you in the congregation that today was either my first time meeting you or I didn't get a chance to shake your hand. Uh, my name is Daniel. Uh, I've only been here for about a month and a half, almost two months with my family, and uh, one of the men here trying to help, uh, help out with the church plant here. Um, so yes, John chapter 11. I realize this is not the account of Jesus's resurrection. I realize that's what Easter is, is about and why we celebrate it. But uh, this look at John chapter 11, it really is a prelude to the resurrection of Jesus. This account of the death and resurrection of Lazarus prepares and informs the reader in regard to who Jesus is and what he is about to accomplish only a few days later. The main idea of this passage is that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And we will explore this truth by looking at three different perspectives of Jesus. Jesus' love, Jesus' identity, and Jesus' power. Before we do that, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus, for what he has accomplished, and how we get to live and have life abundantly in him and through him. I pray, Lord, that today, this morning, everything that is done and said, that would be for your glory. That when today is over and we we leave this building, that we would leave worshiping. That our only thoughts would be about how awesome, beautiful, and infinitely worthy our God is. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first perspective that we look at is Jesus' love. Let's begin in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. 
Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his, his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. In verse 4, we are given the broad purpose of this entire account. Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So before we go any further, let's clarify two things. First, what is the glory of God? It's a phrase that we often hear, but what does it actually mean? One theologian described it as the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. So to glorify God is to see him and praise him for who he truly is. We do not add anything to God. His holiness and worth are complete. But it is God's desire to manifest himself to his creation, to make himself known, to publicly put on display who he truly is. The second thing we must wrestle with is that God works illness, pain, death, loss, sadness, and mourning for his glory. This is a difficult concept for us to wrap our minds around. The idea that God often uses suffering to reveal his infinite beauty is offensive to many. But in verse 4, this concept is undeniable. The suffering we read about in this chapter was for the glory of God and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Yes, there are forces of darkness at work in this fallen world, and because of humanity's sin, a curse plagues all of creation. Humanity and the fallen angels are held completely responsible for the rebellion and pride. But God is not the author of sin. God is sovereign over all things, but he is not the author of sin. There is nothing outside of his reach, nothing that has escaped his notice, nothing that he cannot work for his good pleasure. Think about the wicked and shameful death of Christ, the greatest example of undeserved suffering. All the forces of darkness were arrayed against him. Humanity rejected their Messiah, heaping up for themselves even greater wrath. That even in the midst of this wickedness and suffering, the Bible says in Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Even the suffering and death of Jesus was for the glory of God. And so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So what does the glory of God. This public display of his infinite beauty and worth have to do with Jesus' love, especially as it relates to suffering and pain. In verses 5 and 6, we begin to see the connection. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, 
he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait, what? What just happened? Jesus hears that a beloved friend is deathly ill, but decides to stay away for two more days. Shouldn't it say, now Jesus loved them and therefore immediately went to Bethany? That's not what Jesus does. He tarries. He waits. And more than that, in verse 14, we learn that he specifically waits so that Lazarus would die. Why? Church, hear the answer that the word of God gives. Jesus' love is bound up in the glory of God. His love is bound up in the glory of God. The public display of his infinite beauty and worth. A definition of love that I believe all of us can agree upon is this. Love means giving us what we, requ- what we need or require most. The natural response or question then is, what does humanity need most? What was it that the disciples needed most? What was it that Martha and Mary needed most? What is it that you and I need more than anything else? We need to taste and see the glory of God. We need to see and experience His infinite beauty and worth. The most loving thing that Jesus could do was to reveal his infinite beauty and worth, the infinite beauty and worth of God to his people. And God, in his providence, determined that the death of Lazarus was necessary to fully display his glory. Brothers and sisters, don't measure God's love for you by how healthy, wealthy, or comfortable you are. If that was the measure of God's love, then he hated the disciples. Then he hated the Apostle Paul. Men who suffered much for Jesus. Instead, measure his love for you by how much he reveals himself. By how much he gives of himself. So that you can also glorify God and enjoy him forever as your priceless treasure. The second perspective we'll look at this morning is Jesus' identity in verses 17 through 27. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? 
She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Martha is filled with grief and with thoughts of what could have been. If you had only hurried, if only you had come when I called out to you, then I would still have my brother. Then Martha, by the grace of God, shows unusual faith and insight. She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. In the midst of this grief and her disappointment that Jesus did not show up in time, she reveals her heart's hope and desire that Jesus would raise her brother from the dead. Jesus' answer to her is interesting because it's intentionally vague. He says, your brother will rise again. That was probably not the first time that Martha had heard something to that effect since her brother had died. After all, the Pharisees commonly taught the people that the righteous would, righteous would be raised on the last day. But this promise of resurrection in the distant future was not the solution that Martha was looking for. That's why she responds the way she does, with an acknowledgement of the theological truth, but still with despair in her voice, because it did not in any way lessen the grief. her grief. It did not bring her the immediate physical correction of her world that had been turned upside down. In the midst of Martha's plea for Jesus to perform a miracle, Jesus loves her and gives her what she truly needs. He reveals more of himself to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Throughout this gospel, John has highlighted the I am statements of Jesus. Jesus proclaimed, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the vine. Jesus' use of the statement, I am, points directly to his connection and equality with Yahweh, the creator of the universe. Probably the most famous Old Testament use of the I am statement is in Exodus 3, when God is talking to Moses from the burning bush. It says that Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this to this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In John 8, we see that the Jews understood who Jesus was claiming to be because they picked up stones to murder him after he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is saying to Martha, it is I, Yahweh. And then he reveals even more of himself and adds the resurrection and the life. For many, the resurrection at the last day and eternal life was a theological concept, distant from the reality of daily life. People were looking to a future time. But Jesus is calling Martha 
his disciples, and us to look to a person to hope in him for the fulfillment of the resurrection and life eternal. Then Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is saying, if you are mine, then I've got you. If you believe in Jesus, yes, your physical body may die. But at that very moment, you will forever, eternally be with the Lord. Because Jesus is Yahweh, the resurrection and life, you will never die. This brings us joy and hope in Jesus so that we can say with Paul that we want Christ to be exalted, whether by our life or by our death. We want him. We want his infinite beauty and worth to be put on public display through our lives. The third and final perspective that we'll look at this morning is Jesus' power in verses 28 through 44. When she, Martha, had said this, she went and called her her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved them. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. We see Mary fall at the feet of Jesus, and with great sorrow in her heart, she makes the same searching statement as her sister. Jesus is then moved in his spirit and greatly troubled as he sees the mourners and approaches the tomb of Lazarus. This was not an act. Jesus is not putting on a show. Though Jesus is fully God and knew exactly what he was about to do, he was still fully man and felt sorrow and grief more completely, more perfectly than any other man. 
When Jesus comes to the tomb, he commands them to remove the stone that covered the entrance to the cave. But Martha, as if she has at this point lost all hope that Jesus would perform a miracle, points out that Lazarus isn't just dead. He's really dead. By this point, Lazarus had already been dead for four days and his body had started to decay and stink. Then Jesus says to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Remember how Jesus loved Martha earlier by revealing to her that he, Yahweh, is the resurrection and the life. He is calling her to respond in faith so that he can show her even more of his infinite beauty and worth. This shows us a cycle of seeing the glory of God and believing. The cycle always starts with God in his grace and mercy revealing himself to mankind and then a call for you and me to respond in belief, in faith. And as we we respond in belief, he will show us more and more of the glory of God. The stone is rolled away from Lazarus' tomb And Jesus looks up into heaven and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is declaring that his presence, his words, and his power are are sent by God, by the Father. Jesus is not trying to validate himself but instead is loving those he created by revealing more of the Father so that they may believe and that by believing they would gain access to the Father so that they might enjoy him and glorify him forever. Imagine the scene before the tomb. The stone is rolled away. The stench of death and decay is wafting from the tomb and Jesus looking into heaven is speaking of his father who hears him. And then with a loud voice, Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come out! At his voice, creative power regenerates the body of Lazarus. Muscles, tissue, organs, and skin take their original form. At his voice, life is breathed into a corpse. And at his voice, death's Cold grip releases Lazarus and warmth flows through his body. As a sheep recognizes the voice of its shepherd, so Lazarus hears the voice of Jesus, stands up, and walks out of the tomb. Resurrection power belongs to Jesus because he is Yahweh, the resurrection and the life. This account of the death and resurrection of Lazarus prepares the hearts of mankind for what will happen only a few days later. The climax of history. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It publicly puts on display the infinite beauty and worth of God and asks the question, do you believe? Do I believe?
John writes in chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Do you have life in His name? Are you responding in faith to the glory of God revealed in and through Jesus Christ, the Son? Some here today may be honestly thinking that was a lot of talk about the glory of God. I thought it was all about living my best life now and not going to hell when I die. If that is your thoughts on Christianity, then you've missed it. You've missed it. If you are keeping rules and anticipating heaven simply for the physical rewards they may bring, with no longing for the God of heaven as your priceless treasure, then that is not evidence of saving faith. That is evidence of idolatry. The act of worshiping the creation rather than the creator. If that is you, there is hope though. There was hope for me when I was an idolater. When I was following after and worshiping the creation, there was hope. The Bible calls us to repent. To confess our idolatry. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and beg God to give you a hunger and a thirst for His infinite beauty and worth so that you too can glorify God and enjoy Him forever as your priceless treasure. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying in your heart, but I do long for Him. He is my priceless treasure. Then we can say together as that song we just sang before the service, No guilt, there's no guilt in life. There's no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to my final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. There's no power in hell, no scheme of man that can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or he calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this account of the life, death, and resurrection of Lazarus. Thank you, Lord, that he was he suffered and his family suffered so that we could see your infinite beauty and worth. Oh Lord, help us. We are, we are so weak and so distracted by this world around us. I know that I am. Help me remember that no matter the trial of this life, no matter the suffering or the loss, Lord, your glory is of infinite importance. That's the whole point. Help us, Lord, not to miss that. Not to go through this life like blind men seeking after the creation rather than the Creator. Lord, I thank You for Jesus. I praise You for His resurrection. I thank You that He is alive 
that He is risen and that He's seated on your right hand interceding for us and that He is coming back for us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns His face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one Bring many sons to glory The man upon the cross My sin upon his shoulders Ashamed I hear my mocking voice Call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom.